welcome to this episode of Category Management Musings. Uh, hope all of you are staying safe, your family is safe, and all your colleagues are safe, and you continue to do so. I want to pick up from the last episode. Uh, as I told you, I would be following our maturity model uh, to sequence our discussions uh, and conversation, and today it is about globalization. But before I get into the topic itself, I did want to talk, take a moment and just tell you a little bit about the maturity model because we last uh, updated it about a decade ago and we have realized that given the post-COVID environment, well actually I really shouldn't say post-COVID yet, we're still in the midst of all this, uh, we've realized that uh, the model needs to be updated and changed. And so I guess this is a two-pronged appeal. One, I would encourage you uh, to grab a hold of our model. There's multiple ways you can get it. You can uh, write to us. You can go to our blog. You can go to our website, find it. I would encourage you to read the last one we did about a decade ago, the update. But most importantly, uh, I would encourage you to participate in the survey of best practices that we're conducting to see how do we update it for the COVID environment. And that, again, you will find on our blog. So take a few moments and uh, take that survey. Uh, you'll be helping yourself, and of course, you'll be helping us too. So with that, let me begin the discussion on globalization. So let's start the discussion of globalization with a very, very brief historical anecdote. The last inflection point, many would argue, and I would agree with, uh, basically happened very short while ago, less than two decades, when Foxconn, who was the contract manufacturer, or is still the contract manufacturer for Apple, uh, decided to move from Taiwan to China. And that led to this mass movement of outsourcing to China. Ironically, it looks like it'll be Foxconn again, uh, who will be part of the leadership group, I guess I'll call it, at this inflection point, uh, which is a break away from China, because Foxconn is actively looking to move a large part of their production out of China, potentially into India right now is where they're actively looking. So the question then becomes, is this the beginning of the end of globalization? Is it the end of the beginning, uh, as we called it a few years ago? Or is this just a temporary pause? And I guess the answer really is that instead of trying to measure this as a point of time event, uh, we need to look at this as a continuous journey. Uh, it is clear that decoupling from China is happening now. Uh, it's not a question of when. Um, it's a question of when for most people, not a question of if. And it's a question of degree. Some will be doing a lot of movement away from China. Some will do a partial movement away. Uh, as it is, you know, you can't even uh, fly into China. You can't fly out of China back into the U.S. So clearly the decoupling uh, has started happening. And if you go back and look at some of our earlier writings and blogs on this, you will find, you know, we've talked about this for quite a while, uh, how we're setting up 
uh, even different technology standards where we may end up with two major different sets of standards going forward. Uh, so the, the decoupling is clearly happening. What that leads to is a uh, the perfect segue into tying this into our maturity model. So if you take a look at that slide that I provided, uh, and specifically uh, I'm talking about globalization here, you will see that the first thing that, and by the way, this is circa 2010. So this is not something that we just put out recently. Uh, this has been around for around a decade now. And what we talked about was that global category management is one of dynamic arbitrage. That arbitrage, uh, when you take a look at global category management, uh, it's not a static thing. Now that may be stating the obvious, uh, but you would be surprised to find how many companies uh, have assumed that these are static type decisions that they can basically rest on. Uh, we talked about you know, how things like taxes, tariffs, all those must be incorporated into your decision making. Again, that may sound like common sense today. Uh, you know, we were pushing these notions 10 years ago. And the reason we were pushing them is because we had done all kinds of extensive benchmarking and found that most of our clients and most of the companies uh, that were surveyed were not indulging in these types of activities. The other one that you may find a little bit interesting, and you'll see that, uh, and I won't read all of these, by the way, for you, but you'll see that flavor that the shift has to be away slightly from where things are manufactured to the logistics and distribution component of the supply chain, meaning can the goods actually be uh, moved to where the demand is or where the consumption is? Because that then frees you up uh, from arbitrage opportunities or exploiting arbitrage opportunities in terms of manufacturing locations because it doesn't really matter where you are manufacturing it as long as your distribution and logistics component of your supply chain can deliver to where you need to be. And so that's why, you know, we, we talked about those issues in 2010. Uh, we pointed out that, you know, doing this kind of activity on behalf of your company, meaning true global category management, uh, requires a competency that most organizations do not possess. And so we'll go through some of these uh, in today's discussion, but I wanted to make sure that I covered this because again, I'm encouraging you to go find this uh, maturity model that was published uh, uh, 10 years ago, and I think you'll find some uh, very important learnings to be had uh, and now, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, we are trying to update it and would love for you to uh, participate in that. So with that, uh, let me kind of move on to the next slide that I wanted to cover with you. Uh, and that is this uh, trend slide that we, again, this was published uh, pre-COVID at the beginning of 2020. And the only reason I want to bring this up is what we were, number one, obviously we had globalization identified as a very, very important consideration, and it continues to be. So that was perhaps stating the obvious. 
but one of the things that we again talked about there was a truly global category strategy, and we'll, we'll cover that in detail uh, a little bit today, uh, and also how to exploit arbitrage and risk opportunities, and that's where we'll focus most of our time. Because one of the things we have to realize uh, is that arbitrage, by its definition, is always dynamic. It is not a static phenomenon. Uh, and therefore, all of our decision models must also be dynamic in nature. And that's where a majority of the gap exists uh, when we look at uh, various processes out there. So when you take a look at that slide that we've attached, uh, the title I think is, you know, there's always better global markets, obviously. And if you follow the Foxconn analogy, you know, the, the better global market a couple of decades ago was China, and their decision now is looking like uh, it is not no longer China as, as, as it is for a number of other organizations. And so what this slide is trying to illustrate, and again, this is a fairly old slide. My guess is this slide is at least 10 years old, uh, but it still holds true that the dynamic nature of arbitrage means that your the, the decision to exit a market is as important as a decision to enter a market from a sourcing or a supply chain perspective. So therefore, you must know what your decision criteria is when you're entering, for example, in this case, China, but also what will be your decision criteria to exit China. And as you will notice, a lot of companies who've been able to make those decisions fast have uh, exited China or are in the process of exiting China now. And those that don't have decision models like that are trying to sort through and figure out uh, when they need to exit China. And clearly the early adopters get the most advantage by taking the most risk and that's a decision uh, that you as a corporation have to make. But if you look at this slide, you will see a lot of the attributes that we describe uh, is exactly how uh, companies need to think their way through uh, their outsourcing or globalization decisions, and most importantly, design their models in such a way that allows them to exit the markets uh, that they have entered as quickly and elegantly as possible when it is the, time, when is the right time to do so. Now, my next point, uh, you will probably end up saying, duh, uh, because it is an obvious statement, but one which is very critical uh, when we start thinking of globalization, uh, especially in a post-COVID world, although I would argue uh, it's an ongoing challenge, and that is that our stakeholders' value drivers, uh, A, are constantly in a... Uh, state of change or flux, uh, and as we have mentioned earlier, B, uh, the ones that we don't see, uh, meaning that we can't measure, we can't put our arms around, are probably as important in shaping their decisions and behaviors. And that's something hard for us as sourcing and supply chain people to understand because we're so used to uh, being able to measure things and use only those 
value drivers or criteria, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, that we can put our arms around. And so the slide that you will see uh, in the one, one of the slides that I provided, it starts talking about how dramatically, in this case, in a post-COVID world, uh, those value drivers for our stakeholders have changed. Uh, and so we've listed a few, uh, but the point here is that we as supply chain professionals, when we are uh, trying to figure out our globalization strategy, uh, need to make sure uh, that we are constantly on top of our uh, stakeholders' value drivers, uh, because unless we do that, uh, all we are looking for is trouble in terms of alignment of our globalization strategy uh, with our stakeholders. So clearly, for example, for a number of stakeholders, in uh, your case probably, you know, price, uh, the focus on price has probably shifted because a number of other factors are much more top of mind for our stakeholders, and therefore that has to be incorporated uh, into any component of our globalization strategy. And so I think you know the, what that does represent, and we keep saying that, is a huge opportunity for our function, uh, not necessarily a challenge, because if we can demonstrate that we can uh, acknowledge and incorporate uh, the dynamic nature uh, of our stakeholders' value drivers, uh, that we can incorporate even those value drivers that perhaps are not measurable, uh, but we can still incorporate, incorporate them into our processes, uh, the more credibility we will gain as a function and you know, head towards that partnership uh, role that we have always craved. The last point, which you've heard us talk about before, and, but uh, it is something that we think is important enough that we want to keep repeating it, uh, that for any kind of a globalization uh, strategy, any kind of a uh, global category management strategy, uh, the key again will be uh, the strategic processes that we keep talking about. Uh, the and we'll keep repeating these, by the way, only because we think it is such a critical, important message and one that often go, uh, does not get sufficient attention. So change management, risk management, relationship management are components uh, that you must pay attention to. And if you're looking to build uh, any type of permanent globalization organizational competency which is what you need to succeed in this world, uh, then those processes must be paid attention to. So with that, I don't want to take way too much more of your time because uh, we do try to put a time limit in, on these things so that you know they're manageable for you as a listener. Uh, but that should conclude my, my commentary at least uh, in the allotted time that I have. But I would encourage you to reach out, uh, get to our blog, uh, reach out to me if you would like, uh, drop me a note, and uh, engage in dialogue uh, so that we can continue to uh, make some progress on this very, very challenging issue. And as I said, I encourage you to participate in the benchmarking survey that we have just launched. Uh, I think you'll find it fascinating. 
Uh, best of luck, and again, stay safe, please. Thanks for listening to Category Management Musings. This podcast is provided by the Empower Group and is intended to provide general information only. The podcast is not intended to constitute advice or services of any kind. For additional information about the Empower Group, please go to www.thempowergroup.com. We also release new podcasts regularly, and if you subscribe, you won't miss an episode. Follow us on iTunes Podcasts or Spotify. Please leave a review on your podcast app, and please invite others to listen. To stay connected and receive more information on the Empower Group service offerings, visit www.theempowergroup.com services and follow us on Twitter at The Empower Group.